0: Well, good morning, New Spring. Happy Father's Day. And if you're attending New Spring for the first time, yes, we did begin with Huey Lewis in the news, a little Michael McDonald's from Chicago. And now we're about to go into a prophecy series. So we are a quirky church and we know that, but thank you for being with us today. And if if, if nothing else, I hope you draw from that, that we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take God very seriously. I hope we always continue that juxtaposition. Uh, But I do want to say happy Father's Day to all you dads and grandfathers out there. And and if you have your dad with you, you you're really, really blessed. Uh, I was blessed to have my dad with me until six years ago, and he's with the Lord now, and I sure miss him. But thank God for actually what we're going to be discussing with prophecy. The best is always yet to come if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, It is kind of weird. How did I wind up talking about angels on Father's Day? (laughs) That may be the greatest sermon disconnect in the history of the church, but... I am going to be talking about angels. We're in a series called Clash of Dynasties 2, and we're looking at the book of Daniel, the Daniel Chronicles. The book of Daniel is 12 chapters long. It's in the Old Testament, and Daniel tells the future. So much of the book of Daniel is stuff that is yet to happen. In fact, next weekend, the title of the message is Daniel Tells Your Future, and it is extraordinary, the prophecy that we have and so many things that are even coming true in our lifetime. Why do I take... One of the eight weeks of our series and dedicated to angels. Well, it's because angels are all over the book of Daniel, and the more I study, the more I discover angels are all over the Bible. In fact, I dare say you would be hard-pressed to find for square inch for per chapter more mentions of angels any place in the Bible than the book of Daniel. So We're going to be dealing today with the subject of angels. And I don't even know that you would call today's talk a sermon. It's really more of a workshop because we are going to get some information about a subject that there's mostly misinformation about. You know, my dad taught me many things. I mentioned him a moment ago, but my dad used to tell me, Mark, the way to keep from having a misunderstanding is to have an understanding. Well, the solution for misinformation is... Information. So, what I'm doing today is just kind of an informational message about the subject of angels due to the fact that there's so much misinformation about angels. How many of us have gone to some kind of store, you know, a souvenir shop or some kind of store with ceramics, and you see these tender little baby angels, fluffy, furry, kind of cute, cuddly kind of things, and, and some of us even collect them, and I don't guess there's anything wrong with that. It's just artwork, but I think that that's led to this general sense that angels are sort of a, I don't know, sort of a mythical uh, character, and if they do exist, they're sort of cuddly and, and not, too, not too serious, Well, that's so wrong. So let me just right out of the box, give you a verse of scripture that helps us understand who and what angels are. I'll be a lot of scripture today because my concern is that we get information from the Bible. The thing about knowing about God is it's never going to be because of the light that's between our ears. Now we use the light between our ears to process it, but The only way we can know about God is through the process of revelation. In other words, the one who knows has to tell those of us who don't know. So I'm always well aware of the fact that you don't drive as far as many of you drive to hear what I have to say. You came here to hear from God. So I'm just the letter, you know, I'm I'm the letter carrier developing the, or bringing the mail. So today I want you to look at this first verse to help us understand that angels are not cute, cuddly beings, that uh, they're not real serious. This is from the book of 2 Kings chapter 19. And this particular story occurs three times in the Bible, once in the book of Isaiah and then in the books of Kings and Chronicles. But it it happens during the reign of Hezekiah over Judah. Hezekiah is a godly king, but his nation is not very powerful at the time. And the nation with all the Jews and with all the power at that moment is the nation of Assyria. And the Assyrians have basically gone through all the other people groups like hot knife through butter. They have captured the kingdoms, captured the kings. And now you've got this massive Assyrian army laying siege to tiny tiny Judah. And Hezekiah, of course, is God's king. Now, the the king of Assyria sends a letter to Hezekiah basically saying, you know, surrender, Dorothy. I mean, surrender, because if you don't surrender, we're just going to wipe you out and destroy you. If you surrender, maybe we'll let you live. And when he sends this letter, he sends a letter just really ripping God and flipping God off with both hands. And he basically says to Hezekiah, what makes you think your God is going to deliver you? Because all the other gods of these other nations didn't help them. So why do you depend upon your God? Why don't you just surrender? Now, when Hezekiah gets that letter, he does something really cool. And I love this. I think I talked about it last year in the Kings and Queens series. Hezekiah goes down to the temple and he unfolds the letter and he spreads it out for God to read. Not like God didn't know it was in a letter. That's kind of cool. So he just spreads this letter out. I mean, if anybody ever sends you an email or a text that rips you, just spread it out for God to read, you know. And, and that's, that's what Hezekiah did. And, and, he, and he said something interesting. He said, God, the man's right. I mean, they have gone through all these other people groups like a hot knife through butter. And are they stronger than us? Yeah, they're much more powerful than us. And God, if you don't help us, we're in so much trouble. So that's what he does. And and the prophet Isaiah, who is Hezekiah's pastor, comes to him and says, God has heard your prayer and God's going to take care of things. Now, we read about how God took care of the Assyrians in this next verse. But again, we're talking about what are angels really like? So listen for this. The angel of the Lord, one angel, the, and a, one single angel, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. One angel, 185,000 of the world's best fighting soldiers at that time. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. That is the English translation. If you were to read that in Hebrew, there's a really interesting little thing there. It's like when, they, when the survivors woke up the next morning, the Assyrian soldiers were, and there are two Hebrew words for dead mashed up and jammed together. It was like the next morning they were dead, dead. As if to say, they weren't just dead; they were dead. It's probably the first time so dead ever actually became part of a conversation. There's was like when they got up the next morning; they weren't just dead; they were so dead. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know how the angels nuked them. I just know this, I, or one angel. I I know one angel is very powerful. So, for all of us who have this little idea of cuddly little beings you know fluttering little wings and they fly around with harps or bows and arrows, you can scrap that. That's just all man-made stuff. It's 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 it's, it's it may be. Fun to make as part of our culture on holidays when you're sending greeting cards and that kind of stuff has absolutely zero to do with angels. So because of the misinformation today, we're going to get information. Let me give you three reasons why we're doing this talk today, especially given the fact that we only have eight weeks in the book of Daniel and we're dedicating one of these weeks to the subject of angels. A, angels are mentioned frequently in the book of Daniel. When you look through these 12 chapters, you're going to find angels all the time. Here's a little side point. Um, We believe that there were three archangels. We know the Bible identifies one angel as an archangel. There are hierarchies of angels and hierarchies of demons, which are fallen angels. But we know that Michael is an archangel. We suspicion that Gabriel is an archangel because of the way He's presented in the Bible, and I personally believe, and this is just Mark talking, so you don't have to take this any further than that, I really believe that Lucifer, the person we know of as Satan, was once an archangel. Now, Satan's no longer an archangel. He's been deposed, but if indeed both Michael and Gabriel are archangels, what makes Daniel interesting is the only story in the Bible that includes both archangels is in the book of Daniel. We'll look at it in just a few moments. Also interesting, Gabriel, as much as we know about him, is only in two books of the Bible. One of them, you know, for sure, and that's Luke, because Gabriel is engaged in the Christmas story. By the way, just time out for a second. When I got to working on this message on angels, there was just so much here that I couldn't get to. I thought, this subject needs a whole series. Wink, wink. And. I didn't tell all the services this, I just wouldn't be surprised if our Christmas series is not called Angels. so just file that away. But um, when, we, when we read about Gabriel, he is in the book of Luke in the story of Jesus, telling Jesus' birth, but he's also in the book of Daniel. So the only two books of the Bible where we find Gabriel are in Daniel and Luke. So angels are mentioned frequently in the book of Daniel. B, angels play a prominent role in the stories of the book of Daniel. What we're going to discover is the book of Daniel typically toggles back and forth. One chapter on prophecy, one chapter narrative, next chapter on prophecy. So there are three prominent narratives for sure in the book of Daniel. We covered one of them last week, but the two most prominent narratives are the stories of Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Now we've I've laid before you the idea that Daniel's are prominent in the book. Let me read you a verse from each of those two main stories in the book of Daniel. The first one is from uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. <clears throat> in Daniel 6, this is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. The king, Darius, at this point, Daniel is an elderly man. At the beginning of the book, Daniel's 15. At the end of the book, he's he's probably in his 90s. So the Babylonian Empire is now completed. Now we're in the Medo-Persian Empire. Darius was a governor or general uh, in the Medo-Persian Empire. And some of Darius's men create a setup to land Daniel in the lion's den and against Darius's will, Daniel has to go to the lions' den. So the next morning, after Daniel has spent the night in the lions' den, Darius comes in and says, "Oh, Daniel, is the God whom you serve able, or a- continually able, to deliver you?" Look at Daniel's response in Daniel six twenty one. Daniel answered, "My God has sent His angel, and he, sh- he, the angel, shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me." So. Again, the question, why with only eight messages in the book of Daniel are we taking a whole weekend to talk about angels? They're mentioned frequently, they're mentioned prominently. Here's the big one, C. We're in a clash of dynasties. It is important for us to realize that one of the dynasties is headed by an angel. God, of course, is the head of the dynasty of light. But the, 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 the dynasty that is uh, against God is a dynasty that is... Uh, headed up by an angel, and that's Lucifer. We're going to see this in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. If you want to see the person that we know of as Satan when he is still an angel, we'll find it in this text. Isaiah, chapter 14, this tells us how he got kicked out. Verse 13 God said, For you said to yourself, this will be Satan talking, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. Piece of information. Oftentimes, stars are a metaphor for angels. It's not that the angels are stars, but because they are heavenly beings, oftentimes the Bible will refer to them as stars. So what caused Lucifer to get kicked out of heaven? He basically got full of himself and said, there's no sense for me to be among the angels. I will be over all the other angels. But that wasn't all he said. Verse 14, I will be like the most high God. In effect, he is saying, I see God is here and me right here on an equal plane. Now, one of the things that I've been accused of by my friends who are non theists or agnostics is they will say, Well, Mark, the reason why you believe in a real devil is you have invented a god, so consequently you must invent an opposite and equal nemesis. I'm never quite sure how that philosophy actually became considered acceptable, but it is part of people's thinking. They say, well, you believe in a God, so consequently you had to invent an opposite and equal devil. Well, he may be opposite, but he's not equal because God on one hand is almighty. He is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, all-powerful God. On the other hand, you have a created angel. But I do want to make the point that we understand that one of the dynasties is headed by an angel. So, How did God deal with it when Lucifer rebelled? Isaiah 14, verse 15, God said, instead you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Everyone there will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth? In the future, God is going to send Satan to hell. And then the rest of us are gonna walk past that and say, is this the jerk that caused us all the trouble? Because he's gonna look pretty puny when he's in hell. Now let me just deal with a real big misconception. Sometimes I don't know where this stuff comes from. There are those who have the idea that hell is Satan's domain. And if somebody goes to hell, they will be punished or tortured by Satan. Forget that, that's nuts. Hell was created to punish Satan. In fact, here's the thing, hell was not made for human beings. The, look at this, this is what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says that hell was created for the, Satan and his demons. So consequently, hell was not made for human beings. So when that time comes, the rest of the world is going to look at Satan and say, you're not very big, but he was kicked out of heaven because he rebelled against God. Now with that out of the way, I'm going to share with you 14 bullet points today that give us information about angels. Again, this is not a sermon. I just want to do like I used to do when I was a debater in high school and college. I want to make a point and I want to bring in evidence underneath it so that you'll have something to to depend on. So 14 points. Now, I'll be honest with you. If, it was, if I was sitting where you're sitting and it's 1150 and a preacher just announced that he had 14 points, it would make me really nervous. <laughs> I grew up in a pastor's home and my dad took me to all kinds of, you know, church meetings. Y'all are all too young to know what I mean by this. I used to say something, but I don't say it anymore because y'all are all too young to what I'm talking about. I used to say my dad took me to every revival except Creeds Clearwater. So if you don't know what that means, just ask an old person or somebody who's into <laughs> classic rock and roll, and they'll tell you what that means. But we're going to go through these real fast. In fact, sometimes we'll just, we'll just take them one right after the other, but I want to give you 14 bullet points about angels. If you want to know more about it, you can study it, or you can come back for our Christmas series, and we'll be talking, <laughs> we'll be talking about angels for several weeks. So here we go. You ready? We're going to get on a horse and ride. Number one, angels are created beings by God. This is another reason why Satan is not equal to God. God is creator. Satan is creative. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, the Bible says through him, that's Jesus, through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. All four of those expressions refer to angelic beings. So consequently, all angels are created beings. Number two, their job is to assist God. When God made angels, he wanted to make assistance. File that away. It'll be important in just a few moments. So consequently, angels were made to assist God. Listen to this verse. Psalm 103, verse 20. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones, who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. So the next time you envision an angel, don't envision some little fluttering baby with wings you know, you envision the angels listening to God to see what God says is going to happen next. Hey, by the way, could I just say something else that kind of gets under my skin? Because I want people to know the truth. And, and please don't take any offense at this because I understand how this idea gets in our culture, but let us just correct something for a moment. When, when, when grandmother passes away, please don't tell your children that grandma is now an angel. Because if grandma knows Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, don't demote her. She is God's daughter. She exists as a princess in heaven. You know, she is she's God's child. So, you know, grandma doesn't have wings now. She's, she's more beautiful and more lovely and stronger and more wonderful than she's ever been before. But where do these ideas come from? It's just stuff that gets into the groundwater of our culture. The next thing you know, we, just, we begin to just continue to perpetuate the myth. But in any event, angel's job is to assist God. Now, I like this. This is from our book, Daniel chapter seven of the ninth verse. Daniel is now viewing the throne room of heaven, much like John is in Revelation chapter five. So he's kind of like had the veil pulled away and Daniel gets a look at God and his surroundings. Watch this. I watch, Daniel said, as the ancient one, that's Jehovah God. I watched as the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne. Hold on to something solid. Millions of angels ministered to him. Not 30, not 60, not 100, not 1,000. Millions of angels ministered to him, and God's not through. Look at this. Many millions stood to attend him. Wow, when you think about that, it's massive, especially, file that away for in a few moments when we start talking about how God sends angels to help you and watch over you and protect you. God has millions and millions of angels. Now here's the third point, and this is really salient to our discussion of this dynasty headed up by Satan. Angels were given free will. One of the questions that I get asked and have been asked through the years is, if God knew that Adam and Eve We're going to sin. Why did he create them in the first place? Well, I learned a long time ago, asking why God did something when he's God and I'm not is probably not the best thing to do. And God is just, he just looks at things differently than we do. But this one, I think I can understand pretty well. What God wants more than anything else is to be loved. And you cannot love if you don't have free will. Free will is necessary for love. And I can prove this to some of you, at least. Anybody here been in a controlling relationship? where a person demands your love and then defines what that love is and you find that you're in a controlling situation where in order to have this person's approval, you must function as he wants you to. You know and I know that love is not possible in that scenario. That kind of thing pushes us away. So consequently, God doesn't make robots. What he desires is he desires love, but of all of his created beings, he must give them free will or free choice or else love love is not available to him. And that's why we live in a world with a lot of pain and difficulty is because God has given us all free choice and unfortunately, we as human beings have all chosen to go the wrong way with that free choice. Always remember this. God is about truth and choice. Satan is always about lies and control. Now, there are people who don't like God who will say that God's truth is a manifestation of control. But it isn't control. God is just simply saying, look, if you take road A, there's gonna be consequence A. If you take road B, there's gonna be consequence B. But God is all about truth and choice. So angels were given free will. Bullet point number four, one third of the angels joined Lucifer in his rebellion against God. I I can never wrap my mind around that. But we do know that Satan is immensely persuasive. We see what happened with our first parents. And evidently, the first time he exercised those persuasive skills were with the angels. Revelation chapter 12, verse 4. Remember, sometimes stars is used as a metaphor for angels. Read it with me. His tail, Satan swept away one third of the stars of the sky. That's a poetic way of describing the fact that in Lucifer's rebellion, he convinced a third of the angels to join him. Now, three verses later, God just pulls back from the metaphor and spells it out for us. Revelation 12, verse 7: there was war in heaven. This is before the world was created. There was war in heaven. Michael, that's our archangel buddy, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. That's Satan and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. So Now you've got this scenario developing where you have two-thirds of the angels that stayed faithful to God and a third of the angels that rebelled with Satan. We know them as demons today. Number five, at that point, the angels who had free will locked in their positions. Two-thirds of the angels locked in their positions to follow God and a third of the angels locked in their position to rebel against God. And this is so important to our discussion today with no chance of redemption. God never gave the angels a second chance. Let me prove that. It's in the Bible a lot of times, but I'm just going to pull verse 6 out of the little one-chapter book of Jude. The Bible says, The angels who did not stay within the limits of their authority, God gave them but left the place where they belong. God has kept them in prisons of darkness waiting for the great day of judgment. And then the verse I referred to a few moments ago, Jesus said, that when the judgment takes place, that those people who do go to hell, God will say, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Always remember, hell was not prepared for people. One of the greatest preachers I ever had the chance to hear in my lifetime was a guy by the name of E.V. Hill who pastored in the Watts area of Los Angeles. And E.V. had a sermon called, You Can Go to Hell. And he was preaching in Chicago, and his wife called him one night, and she said, they called each other baby. He said, baby, would you preach tonight? He said, you can go to hell. She said, come again? <laughs> no, he said, that was the title of my sermon, you can go to hell. And I actually heard E.V. preach that sermon, and he had a great point. He, he said, look, if you really want to go to hell, you can go, but you shouldn't go because you haven't been invited to go, and you should never go any place you're not invited. Pretty good point. And Jesus calls that. Jesus tells us that hell was not created for people, it was created for Satan and his demons who rebelled against God, but if after God has made a way for people to have everlasting life, if they flip God off with both hands, there's no place for them to go except the place called hell. So, the angels locked in their positions, the rebelling angels became demons, of course, and then those that stayed faithful to God continue on as angels. Number six, All of this has created a clash of dynasties, which our theme is this summer. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, we read something that's kind of painful. The great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth. Ouch. That's where we live. Thrown down to earth with all his angels. Double ouch. So consequently, you and I are living in a place where Satan and his demons have been cast down to. Now let me ask those especially perceptive among you a question. Do you see and do you sense Satan's power getting stronger in what I believe are these last days? Last week, I just shared with you how that 30, 40 years ago, there there are crimes that happen now, horrible stories, that if they'd happened 30, 40 years ago, they'd have been the stories of the decade. They're not even the story of the day today. Why are things getting so much worse? Well, we're still in Revelation chapter 12 right now, and God's going to tell us. God says, rejoice, you heavens, but woe to the earth, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, heads up, because he knows his time is short. In this clash of dynasties, does Satan think he's going to win? No, no. That's been settled a long time ago. That was settled in a garden outside the city of Jerusalem. When Jesus went to Gethsemane and he was staring at the cross, the Bible tells us that he prayed to his father and said, father, if there's any other way, let it be. But if it's not possible, you know, not my will, but your will be done. After Jesus prayed that prayer and stood to his feet, Satan knew it was over. Game, set, match. I've heard people, I've heard preachers say that when Jesus was crucified on the cross and he was lying in the tomb, the devils threw a kegger and they're celebrating. Forget about that. That's so silly. Satan never questioned that God would bring Jesus out of the grave. He knew God too well for that. You understand the victory happened when Jesus said, I'm gonna to go to the cross. It's been over since that moment. And so consequently, Satan and all the demons understand They're beaten, but they are doubling down in these last days, which brings about ultimately what the Bible is going to talk to us about in the book of Daniel, the last, last gasp government of Satan on our earth. So right now, you and I are caught in a clash of dynasties that's exacerbating even to this point. Number seven, when humans were created, Adam and Eve, the satanic dynasty attempted to enlist them. And they did, unfortunately. Number eight, the attempt, unfortunately, was successful and at the worst possible moment. Why do I say the worst possible moment? Because there were only two humans on the planet and we were all in their DNA at that point. So consequently, the whole human race fell. Number nine, the damage done to creation was irreversible. Humans to whom God had given the title deed to the earth had joined this demonic rebellion against God and his dynasty. So we live in a world today in which... The kingdom authority of our world has been surrendered over to Satan. This is why Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. Number 10, God then did something for humans and his world that he didn't do for the angels. He made a plan of redemption. See, it's really important, and this is the reason why I said a few moments ago, we don't want to say that our loved ones who have gone to heaven have become angels because you must understand that we were created for a completely different reason than the angels, The angels were made to be assistants. We were made to be daughters and sons. So when God made human beings, it was because he wanted a big family. And when our first human beings fell to the temptation of Satan, God said, I'm not willing to let this world spin into a black hole. I'm going to make a way for the people of the earth, you and me, to get something that the angels did not get. Second chance. And that's where Jesus came along. He was God in skin. He ran the table for 33 years, never did one thing wrong, lived the life that we couldn't live, and after that 33 years, laid down on a Roman cross, and the way God saw it, the blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for everything that we ever did wrong. God's plan of redemption to give you and me a second chance is that all of the sins of you and me were clicked and dragged and placed on Jesus, and he hung on the cross to pay for our sins, and all the righteousness of Christ's life was clicked and dragged and brought under our name in the book of heaven. That's the second chance that we were given that the angels were not given. People do ask me sometimes, well, when when it was all done, when Jesus rose from the grave, why didn't God just call time? Well, you and I know the answer to that. Number 11, it was necessary for much time to pass to give billions of people an opportunity to take advantage of God's second chance that the angels didn't get. If Jesus had called time when, when he arose from the grave, you and I weren't born yet. So that's why the world continues on in this clash scenario, because God's got an agenda. Number 12, until God calls time, humans will be caught in the clash of dynasties, oppressed by the evil angels, demons, which, by the way, let me just say something. A believer can never be indwelled by a demon But we can be oppressed by them, oppressed by living in that world, and then assisted by those who stayed faithful to God. This is my favorite part of the message. Number 13. We are surrounded by the angels of God. Now remember this. You know, angels are spirits. You and I are spirits. We tend to focus on our bodies because that's the part of us that we see. I can say I see you today, but I don't see you. I see you the body that your spirit lives in we are not bodies that have spirits we're spirits that have bodies the body's temporary see you know that's what aging is all about for all of you young people who are here today and new spring tends to be a pretty young church i want you to know that all of us old timers around here and you see the age you know and i don't have as much hair as i used to have and all that kind of stuff aging is god's way of reminding us that our bodies are temporary they're disposable so the real part of you is eternal, the part of you that sees, feels, loves, that part of you that's cognizant, that makes judgments, makes decisions, that part of you is eternal. Now, I know someone's coming from a purely naturalistic perspective. You're saying, no, Mark, you're just talking about the mind, and I'm telling you, the mind is just the organ that the, 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 the brain is just the organ that the mind uses. The real you is soulish and spirit. So consequently, when the Bible talks about angels, God is talking about spirits, and even though they're not, they don't have bodies, they are still present among us. Now, from time to time, God allows angels to take on a physical manifestation for the purpose of being seen, but you and I are surrounded by angels. Now, here's my favorite verse of the whole sermon, Hebrews 1 verse 14, all the angels are spirits that serve God, and I love this, and are sent to help those who will receive salvation. I was eight years old when I was saved. I was on the playground in my school in Fort Worth, Texas, and I invited Jesus Christ to come into my life. I received salvation. That verse just tells me that all those millions and millions of angels are sent to help me. And I like that. You say, Mark, do you, do you really think you have ever encountered angels in your life? Well, first of all, the Bible, the Bible says, yeah. I mean, the Bible says many of us have entertained angels without knowing it. That's a, that's a Bible verse. And you, but, you know, somebody could press me a little further and say, okay, c- come on, Mark. This is, 20, this is 2019. We live in the enlightened world. I'm not so sure about that last part, but I'm not sure how enlightened we really are. We have a lot of technology. But you're saying, Mark, do you really believe that you've encountered angels? I, I know it. I know it. And again, I've got friends who are skeptics who would say, no, 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 no. You're just talking about law of averages and the rolls of the dice. The cosmic dice just happen to come up right for you. It would be like if someone told you, if you've been to Kansas City, that Kansas City does not exist. You might be sympathetic with the person who told you, but they're wasting their breath. Because you know what you've experienced. The weird thing about this is through the years, I've talked to so many people who believed and knew that they had engaged angels at various times. And and yes, I have. I've shared some of those with you. There are some that are just between me and God. But the Bible says very clearly we shouldn't be surprised because they are spirits that assist God who are sent to help us. Billy Graham in 1973 wrote a book on angels. I guess he got interested in it the way I am. And he wrote a book about angels and he told a story and I've heard so many variations of this story happening in different places with different people, but he talked about the Patton family who went to be missionaries in New Hebrides and not long after they'd gotten there they were attacked. Their compound, their home was attacked by a group of hostile natives. And these hostile natives made a circle around their home and they were going to kill the Patton family and then burn their home. And of course the Pattons, it was just the father and the wife and two daughters were terrified and they just began to pray and they, they prayed all night. They, were just, they just knew at any moment they were going to attack but all night long throughout the night as they prayed, nothing happened. The next morning when, when Patton looked out of his house, he saw no one around. About a year later, the chief of the tribe accepted Christ, and Patton and this chief were having a conversation, and and Patton said to him, hey, do you remember that night when you and your warriors surrounded our house to kill us and burn us? And he said, "Uh, I'm just so glad you didn't do it. And the chief said, well, it was all those men you had with you. And Patton said, I don't know what you're talking about. It's just me and my wife and our daughters. He said, no, 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 no. They said there were men, shining men with swords that stood around the house, and we all left in fear. But should we be surprised at that? I mean, this is something that's been happening throughout history. Again, like I said, the old debater in me wants to give you a plank and give you evidence. There's a story in the Bible that goes right along with the story Billy Graham told. In these days, these were the days of Israel, and by Israel I mean the northern kingdom. And the king of Israel was not a good guy. He was not a faithful guy. But thankfully, there was a great prophet in the land. Now, in this time frame, Syria kept attacking Israel. And Syria was a much more powerful government with a much more powerful army. And so the Assyrians, the Syrians rather, decided they were going to wipe out Israel. And the king of Assyria would bring his massive army. The only thing was, every time he got ready to attack, the army of Israel was positioned waiting for him. And even though they were an inferior army, the Assyrians could never, the Assyrians could never win. So the Syrian king called his generals together and said, okay, which one of you guys is on the payroll of the king of Israel? Because somebody here is a spy. Because every time we get ready to attack, the Israelites are waiting for us. And so the general said, sir, none of us is a spy. It's just that there's this prophet down in Israel. (laughs) This is a fact. This is what the Bible says. He said, if you just say something in your bedroom, this prophet tells the king of Israel, for some reason, he just knows everything we're going to do. And the king of Syria said, well, that's no problem we just got this little preacher down there. Let's just go whack him. So here's what happens. You got this massive Syrian army going down to kill one man and they position themselves and surround Elisha's subdivision. And the next morning, when Elisha's servant looks out his window, there's like the biggest SWAT team in history out there waiting to get him. And so he freaks out. Let me read this to you. 2 Kings 6, verse 15, Elisha's servant got up early that morning. When he went outside, he saw an army with horses and chariots all around the city. The servant said to Elisha, oh, my master, what can we do? Elisha said, don't be afraid. I like this this clause. The army that fights for us is larger than the army that fights for Aram, Assyria, Then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I ask you, open my servant's eyes so that he can see. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man and the servant saw the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. They were all around Elisha. I like that. The army that fights for us. I really preach this sermon, especially for one reason today. There are a lot of us Christians who watch the way the world is going and we feel, like, we feel like we're on the short end of things. I just especially want to talk to those of you who, like me, wrestle with an emotional disorder. I'm a poster child for ADD and have a little bit of an anxiety disorder. And I know what it's like in these days when things can be so dark And the enemy comes to you and tries to tell you that you're all by yourself. Now, if you don't deal with that, you may not know what I'm talking about. But if you do deal with that, you know what it's like when the enemy wants to come to you and say, you're all in this by yourself, and there's nobody else, and you're you're in the minority But hey, remember something. The Bible tells us that God has millions and millions of angels, and they are sent to help those of us who are receiving salvation. And I don't know if you've ever thought about the math on this, but according to what we read in the Bible, for every demon, there are two of God's angels. We got to look early on at what one angel can do. And if this is a two-to-one thing, let us also remember that the demons are backed up by a defeated angel. We, on the other hand, are backed up by the all-powerful, all-seeing, (laughs) all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient, an all present God and so the next time the devil tells you that you're all by yourself you just say hey it's getting crowded in here I think if I were you I'd just holler out of here while you still have a chance yeah I know some of you more religious types you say I don't think you should talk like that well the book of James says I should you know have you ever noticed that some people are just more spiritual than God Pastoring for 42 years, I've ran into a few of them. Don't waste much time on them. But the book of James says, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Before I would talk to the devil, that way i get real close to God. But the Bible tells us, you resist the devil. He'll flee from you. And the next time he tells you, you're all by yourself, you tell him, I'm surrounded by millions and millions of angels. Well, this last one is is a kind of challenge because I think it's not the kind of thing that we would believe without knowing what the Bible has to say. There are hierarchies of angels on both sides. There are hierarchies of God's angels. There are hierarchies of demons. Hold on to something solid with both dynasties assigning angels to specific locations. Now, that's, it kind of creeps me out a little bit when I think about it, but it does make sense on a practical basis when I think about how the power centers of our culture tend to be amped up by Satan. But evidently, he assigns more powerful demons to more powerful places, which God also does. Let me prove that. Remember I said at the beginning of this talk that the book of Daniel tells us more about angels' per square inch than any other book. Daniel is going to prove to us what I just laid out for you. Daniel chapter 10, verse five. He said, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning. His eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared. We got an angel here. And the man said to me, Daniel, stand up for I've been sent to you. Well, that's what Hebrews said. The Bible says angels are ministering spirits who sent to help us. So this angel says, Daniel, I've been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. Now watch this. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Now we're not talking about a human despot here. See." The Bible keeps trying to tell us this, and I don't know why we miss it. The Bible tells us as Christ followers, our enemies are never people. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That means if you're a Christ follower, you do not have any enemies that are human. I wish the church could learn that because we never fight against people. We do love people. The Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. All of those designations are for demons for fallen angels. So what happens here is this angel comes to Daniel and says look, I I was coming in answer to your prayer but the demon assigned to Persia, in this case it would have been Iraq, slowed me down. Let me read this to you. For 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archang- archangels, came to help me. <laughs> I like this. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people. I mean, it's like this, this angel's having trouble with the spirit prince of Persia. And along comes Michael, and he says, Michael, you take over here. I'm going to go talk to Daniel. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So much misinformation about angels, and yet when we like delve into the subject, it just really, really gets interesting. But now this idea of particular angels being assigned to particular regions or countries gets more focused in in this next verse. In Daniel chapter 12, verse one, the Bible says, at that time, Michael, we know who Michael is, the archangel, Michael the archangel who stands guard over your nation will arise. Well, who's Daniel's nation? Israel. Now, don't get me started on this because I'm out of time, but I'm supposed to be in Israel next week. I've been invited by the Israeli government to participate in some summit meetings. In fact, a week from tomorrow, I should be at the foreign ministry in in Israel. So I find this kind of (laughs) cool. God says he has assigned his top angel to Israel. You know, it's strange because we live in a culture, in a world today, where Israel is more hated than ever. And I never can see, I never can really understand that. I mean, for instance, Ireland right now has got pending legislation before their houses of of, um, legislature that, that say if an Irish citizen buys something that is sold by an Israeli, that they could be fined up to a quarter million dollars. Where's all this hatred for Israel coming from? I'll tell you, it's hatred of God. And and I'm saying this kindly today because I understand that we live in a a culture that's growing more hostile toward God. But always remember this. If you take on Israel, you take on God. To flip Israel off is to flip God off. Doesn't mean they're perfect. It's just, that's God's nation. And he has sent Michael. I mean, here's the thing. When you look at the history of Israel over the last 70 years, I mean, the, the people of Israel... They're roughly twice the population of the state of Kansas, and yet they have the seventh most powerful army in the world, as Reuters says. And you look at their history. How many times were they pushed to the edge of the sea by their enemies, and yet every time they are attacked, they win? 1948, 1956, 1967, 1973, and on and on and on it goes. Why? Because God has sent In this particular case, he is assigned his most powerful angel. I just don't think if I were the peoples of this world, I would flip Israel off too much. I mean, Michael, if you just want his resume, if Michael wants to give you his business card and his resume, on his resume is he led the angels to kick Satan and all of his demons out of heaven. That's pretty serious Firepower to leave in Israel. Just file that away. Well, I'm out of time, so I gotta finish. If you were to say to me, Mark, What's the biggest thing of today's talk that stands out to you? Well, I really like the part about the angels sent to help me. I think I've worn out six, seven guardian angels, as I've said before. But I'll tell you, the part that stands out to me is that you and I were given a second chance and the angels were not. There's some interesting stuff in the Bible about that. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Peter that... Those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, the Bible says, even the angels long to look into these things. The angels are intrigued by salvation, and they're just really interested in it. I think right now, as I get ready to close out this message and give you the gospel, I think the angels are in heaven sort of just looking down. They're curious, they're interested, they're delighted by what God offers you that angels were not given a second chance. That's why Jesus would say in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents. Do you realize that in heaven, the angels go nuts every time somebody says, hey, I need Jesus. Anytime someone says, I want to take God up on his offer of second chance, the angels just, they, go, they, they get like they did when Jesus was born. They're wired about this. And so I feel like, given the fact that God has made a way for you to have a second chance, and the angels are in heaven intrigued and excited about all this, I think I should just go ahead and give you the offer before I leave, right? That God has made us all. There's a deal on the table right now that says this, we're all spiritually bankrupt and we can't save ourselves, but God loves us anyway. And God sent his son, Jesus, who came into our world and wore skin and for 33 years ran the table, never did one thing wrong, laid that perfect life on a Roman cross and paid the price for our sins. And anyone who believes that he rose from the grave and that God will do what he said he would do for you can be forgiven of your sins. Your name will be written in the census book of heaven. And you don't become an angel and you don't become a servant. You become a daughter. You become a son of God at the moment you take God up on his deal, his second chance. Many of you have already done that, but if you haven't done it or maybe you're just not sure, hey, let me just lead you in a prayer that says yes. God doesn't want you to join a religion. He wants you to join a family. And I'm going to pray this prayer slowly and I'll pray pray each line slowly so you can decide if you want to own it personally and say it to God. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. I'm broken and I can't fix myself but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since he lives, I want Jesus to be my savior and my king. Bring me into your dynasty. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. No crowded this morning, but do something if you just prayed that prayer. I have a gift box for you. It won't cost you a penny, no strings attached. All you got to do is go to any info center and say, I prayed with Mark. There's a Bible like I preached from in it for you. There's a little book I wrote, and there's some other cool stuff. It's just our way of saying, we want to help you get started in your Christian life. Next week, Daniel tells your future. See you then.